hand. Turn with me again to John 13. Come to the stage to consider God's Word. And so with God's Word open before us, let us seek the Lord together in prayer. Let us seek for His blessing and His presence to be with us in the ministry of His Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank Thee, Lord, for the testimony and for the joy that there is with the Christian to know that someday soon that we will stand before Thy presence in Thy fear and be able to testify that we've been saved by the grace of God. Lord, we thank Thee, Lord, for Thy grace. We thank Thee for Thy so great salvation. And we pray that, Lord, this night we, we, we will be drawn close unto Thyself, that our eyes will be opened to behold the love of God that passeth understanding. And, Lord, I pray particularly for Thy help. Lord, without Thee I'm nothing. Lord, I rest upon Thee, that Thou wouldst fill me to overflow with Thy blessed Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that, Lord, Thou wouldst whisper into my ears the words which Thou would have me to speak. Fill my mouth with the words which I am to preach. Fill me, O God, to overflow with Thy blessed Holy Spirit. May none be seen and none be heard, save Jesus only. Lord, we pray that as we consider the gospel this evening, may it be sounded forth with simplicity and with understanding, with urgency and with liberty. Lord, we pray that, Lord, that Thou wouldst bless the preaching of Thy Word, speak to hearts and speak to souls, and we pray that Thou wouldst draw sinners unto Thyself. We give Thee thanks for the help given thus far in the service and for the help that has been given in the morning service. But we look to Thee to give help in this pivotal moment of the service. Draw near, we pray, and give help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've considered some thoughts already in this chapter this morning in John 13, so I trust that our minds are still fresh and familiar with this chapter of this tremendous account of Christ washing the disciples' feet and showing forth the humility of the Son of God. But the Lord was going to do the greatest work yet, a work better than making the blind to see, the lame to walk, and even the dead to live. This would be a work that would count throughout all eternity, for there God would purchase an eternal redemption for His people. This would be a work far greater than the work of creation when we think of how God spoke all things into existence in the space of six days, and all very good. This would be a work whereby the Son of God would shed His own blood and die for to purchase a redemption for His people. We read in the first one of this chapter how Christ's hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father. His hour was come that He would be delivered into the hands of sinners. We come today, as we remembered His death this morning, to remember the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us, that blood in which we receive the atonement for our souls, that covering over of our sins. By remembering His death, we honor Him and we glorify Him in His life, death, and resurrection. And what a humbling thought of all 
that he did this to save us. How he would go above and beyond what man could think or ever do to save our souls. I want us this evening to consider the first one as our text this evening, to consider this evening Christ's perfect love for his own. Christ's perfect love for his own. What love Christ shows as we consider this morning how he humbled himself and stooping down to wash the disciples' feet. And here he would give his very life to save our souls, that we might have life eternal in and through his sacrifice. Consider firstly with me that Christ's hour of love had finally come. This is the hour in which he would suffer under man's hand to have his image tarnished by the lies and deceits of the Jews, the Pharisees, the chief priests, and even the council. He'd be mocked and beaten by the Roman soldiers who would place a crown of thorns upon his head and beat them into his skull. He was scourged. He was spat upon. His beard was plucked from him. No man suffered like this man. He was unjustly condemned to be crucified by man. And the worst was still yet to come. If we think that's bad, it was to get worse for him. For there on the cross of Calvary, he will suffer a, a suffering that is beyond what man could ever imagine. For there on the cross, he would be the sin bearer for our sakes. He would have our sins laid upon him. And there the wrath of God would be poured upon him. He would be our substitute who would face the wrath and judgment for sin in which we deserved. We will not be cast into hell, the place where God's wrath is poured on sinners, dear believer, because our sin debt has been paid through the blood of Christ. We will have light We'll have the light of life. We will have life more abundant and free. And this is what Christ has done for our souls. When we think of the phrase which Christ uses a lot in this gospel account of John, we, he says a lot about how his hour would come. It's first mentioned if you turn a couple of pages to John's gospel, chapter 2. John chapter 2 and the verses 3 and 4. And there we have the miracle of where Christ turns the water into wine. And in John's Gospel 2, verses 3 and 4, we read, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And there Christ says, that his hour had not come. And even as you read through the next couple of chapters, we read that the hour is coming. Even if you look in John 12 and the verses 23 and 27, and there we read that Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. It was the hour of his glory, 
when the Son of God would be lifted up. He would be glorified for through this. He would bring many sons to glory. In John 17, verse 1, in that great high priestly prayer which Christ brings to the Father, he says these words, that these words speak Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. The word hour in these uh, and these occurrences in the original can also mean time or season. It doesn't mean a literal hour. This, ex- this hour extends not just to the crucifixion of Christ, but it is from that moment and forever onwards, as God is glorified for He has accomplished His work of redemption. We read here that it was the hour in which He should depart out of this world onto the Father in the first one of John 13. Is this not the ascension of Christ? The hour, the time, and the season of redemption has come, and God is glorified, for He has made atonement for His people through His sacrifice. It is a solemn hour when we think of Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh, two natures in one body, truly God and truly man. And yet he who was the son of the living God came to endure the shame, scorn, and sorrow. He wasn't welcomed or loved by all. He was despised, forsaken, rejected. But yet never for a moment did he scrap his plan of redemption, his covenant of redemption, that covenant of which he brought even in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, where it was promised that one would come from the seed of the woman and bruise the serpent's head to destroy the powers of hell, the powers of death, and the powers of sin. It was a pivotal hour. It was an important and critical moment of all history, for through this hour, through Christ being delivered to sinners to hang on the cross, it was the hour in which Christ would do the all-sufficient sacrifice, that work for His people and purchasing to them through His shed blood an eternal redemption. It was an hour of triumph as it is an hour in which sin, death, the world, and the devil was defeated. The powers of death, sin, and the devil is crushed through the all-sufficient sacrifice of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. We who believe in Him today, we join in this triumph. For through faith in Christ and His sacrifice, Today we are souls set free from the condemnation we deserve because of our sins. We've been delivered from the penalty of our sins. It is a blessed hour for the believer. For we can look back to Calvary and we can see all of our sins, private and public, all our thoughts, all our words, all our deeds, the heinous of all sins laid on Christ. And there he paid it all through his blood. I think of that wonderful verse in one of the hymns in our hymnal where we have the hymn writer penned these words, My sin not in part but the whole is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is an hour 
of condemnation to the lost. Many today know that Jesus died on the cross. Some may even know that he died for our sins, but yet they do not believe in Christ and his cross work in satisfying God's divine justice. Many would have the idea, even in our own country, that Jesus died for our sins, but yet they do not understand that it was literally for our sins, the sins in which we have committed, the sins in which we have violated God's holy and eternal law. Know this, that he died for us. He died for me. He died for you. So that your soul should be saved. I don't want you to think that these are just words to be passed over. Get this. Christ died for your sins. Christ died for you. He, he died because of your sins. Yes, you have committed sins. Sins that cry out that your soul should be cast forever into hell. But Christ died for your soul. Out of love for your soul having your sins kneeled upon him on the cross, and he literally died for your soul, that your soul may live if you believe in him. This is the gospel, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But he is no dead Savior this night. Oh no, he is our risen Savior. I think of that glorious and triumphant chorus which we sing so often in Easter time, that up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with a saint's terrain. He arose, he arose, hallelujah. He arose. He arose for our justification. That is, that we would be made righteous, pure, and unblameable in God's sight. What a thought that we have even in our text, in the first one of John 13, that Jesus knew that his hour was come. This hour would be the climax of his suffering. Did he run away from this hour? Oh, not so. He went voluntarily to this hour. He went even with joy to the czar, to that place of suffering and the climax of his humiliation. For we read in Hebrews 12, verse 2, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. While, yes, the hour would be the climax of his suffering and humiliation, it would also be the climax of his glory and exaltation. Why would he go to such a length with joy? It was because he would be fulfilling his covenant of redemption. He would be purchasing an eternal salvation for all who would come to trust in him, that they would be reconciled, that they would be made just, They will be made holy and righteous in God's sight through what Christ has done. Do you have this experience this night? 
that you have been made righteous before a holy God. Without Christ, you have sin stained in your heart and in your soul. Without Christ, dear friend, you will be cast forever into hell. Let me ask you again, have you got right with God? Is your heart and soul righteous before God? Your attendance to this church will do nothing for your soul. This place is a place where we can preach to you the gospel, that you will know of a truth that there is life in the risen Lord. Will you trust in Him this night, that your soul will be made righteous and holy in His sight? Secondly as well, consider with me, God's perfect love was from eternity past. We read in our text the words, having loved his own which were in the world. This is in the past tense. This is a love from eternity past. For you that are saved, I find your name on this part of the text. I even find my name in this part of the text. That having loved his own, which were in the world. Having loved Chris, or whoever you may choose your name, whoever is saved, your name is there. God knows those who are his. Our text shows forth that. Even also look in the verse 11, we see how God knows those who are his and those who are not his. For we read of Judas Iscariot, he was not one of his own. We read in the verse 11, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Even turn a couple of pages back to John 6 and the verse 64. John 6, 64. We read there, Christ starts off by saying, But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And even to you as well, Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter one. And the verses nine and ten. We read these words. Knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous sorry, that's the wrong second Timothy. Second Timothy one, verses nine and ten. He has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath, abolished and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." And even First Peter 1, verse 2, Peter says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Is this not something that should humble our hearts, we that believe this evening, and those out of us that are saved? Who are we that we should be ever elected and should ever be called and chosen of God unto everlasting life? Outside of Christ, we are no different to those which are unsaved and Everywhere, everyone else, for we are undeserving of God's love and salvation forever. We are deserving of His wrath and condemnation. We already read those words in Second Timothy 1, 9 and 10, who saved us 
and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It was nothing to do with who we are, what we've done, who, will, who we, we will be, and what we will do. It was all in his divine purpose and grace, that is, his undeserved favor towards us when we deserved his wrath, that we should be saved. It's a joy, it's a privilege, and it is truly the grace of God indeed that we who are saved today should be called the sons of God. Salvation brings application to it gives us grace. It gives us salvation. It gives us forgiveness. It adopts us into God's family. And it also sanctifies us. In other words, it makes us holy and Christ-like in our living. Let me ask you tonight in the meeting, do you have this so great salvation? Are you saved this night? Thank God we read in the Scriptures that He first loved us, for there was no way in which we would ever love God. We who believe had no interest in Christ or love for Him until we seen our own sinfulness and the glory and the love of Christ on the cross for our souls. My friend, we will still search for the answer for how and why God would ever love us why he would be willing to send heaven's best into the world to save our sinful soul. Why the Son of the living God would come and die for our sins. We will search for that answer throughout all eternity. Why God would love us. Perhaps in a sense, even though we cannot help ourselves in asking such a question, God would rather have us to be thankful that he ever did love us that he ever did send his only begotten Son, Christ, who went voluntarily to this world. J.C. Ryle said, the love of Christ to sinners is the very essence and marrow of the gospel, that he should love us at all and care for our souls, that he should love us before we love him or even know anything about him, that he should love us so much to come into the world to save us, take our nature on him, bear our sins, and die for us on the cross. All oh, this is wonderful indeed. It is a kind of love to which there is nothing like among men. The narrow selfishness of human nature cannot fully comprehend it. It is one of those things which even the angels of God desire to look to. It is a truth which Christian Preachers and teachers should proclaim incessantly and never be weary of proclaiming. This is a love beyond understanding. It is indescribable love. It is incomprehensible love. It is the love of God for our souls. It is a love which is past finding out. His ways are not our ways. Neither are his thoughts our thoughts. For his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts than our thoughts. Oh, if you think for a moment of God's ways were our ways, 
we would have gotten what we deserved in the very instant. Man's heart has that tendency to be rash and quick to pass judgment to get your own back. But how wonderful the thought that God's ways are not our ways. They are higher than our ways. They are so high that we cannot see them to understand them. Neither can we take it in. He loved us when, as we read in our text, we were in the world, when we were living in rebellion to his name, living in sin and defiance to God, but yet he never withheld the gospel from us. He never withheld the gospel from our eyes. He never withheld the gospel from our ears, but showed us our sinfulness and showed his sacrificial love for us and for our soul, his love that won our hearts in Calvary. Notice, finally, God's perfect love is an eternal love. In our text, we read that he loved them unto the end. This is a love from eternity past and will last through all eternity. One of the commentaries, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, puts down, he highlights that this is the triune love of God. It involves the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God the Father loved us in the past in creation and in planning redemption. The Holy Spirit loves us who effectually calls the elect unto salvation and indwells within the believer even now. He also in love for you now who do not believe is striving with your heart and soul to get right with the Lord, to close in with him, to confess your sins and to seek him for forgiveness. And yet in the work of redemption, we see Christ, the Son of God's love for us. Even as God looked into the future of those who would believe in him, he loved those in the future to bless us with all spiritual blessings from heaven, to do so in the future. And in the future, we would abide eternally in his love in that place called heaven, that place reserved only for those who are saved. Thank God for the love of God that sent the Son of God, to save us from our sins. This is the God in which we read in Hebrews 13, verse 8, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even when we see the love of God in the Scriptures, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, be assured that even as He loved our souls so much for them, uh, uh, for them over 2,000 years ago, his love has never for a moment, not even for a fraction, changed or faltered towards us. And never will it ever change because of the assurance and the truth of these words in our text. He loved them unto the end. God the Father will forever love us because Christ has paid the sin debt at Calvary and appeased the wrath of God that was due to us. Christ will forever love us, for if he took on flesh and endured the sufferings of this life, and even worse, even shedding his own lifeblood to purchase our salvation, even delights in keeping the nail prints in his hands, surely if he went to such lengths, going above and beyond for us, will he not love us forever and forever, making us holy and righteous? The Spirit will forever love us, for he applies the spiritual blessings to our souls. He works diligently in making us holy and Christ-like. He will love us forever after when he completes his work in 
glorifying our bodies. The God who is triune will love his people, those who are saved forever. We will be made perfect when our life is over, and we will love him because of all that he has done to save our souls. I want to ask and, and let you know, dear sinner, that eternity is coming. Eternity is coming. This is forever and ever and ever, never to end. You'll be found in one of two places, heaven or hell, all upon what you will do with Jesus even this very night. And I don't want you to think for a moment because we've said that God's love is perfect, that it's from eternity past and it will last forever through all eternity, that God could never cast your soul into hell. God is a just God, and He can only be just if He is loving. For He loves justice. Do not even buy into the nonsense that some people believe and teach that there is no hell, because let me tell you, there is a hell. Christ spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. There are lost souls there now. Some of them are souls like you who have heard the gospel perhaps so many times. They've heard the gospel appeals to be saved now, not tomorrow, not next Sunday, not next month or next week. Get saved now. But unfortunately for some of them, they sealed their hopeless doom, rejecting Christ and His so great salvation. Hell is where God's wrath is poured on sinners, where the fires will never quench, but will torment you forever. There is no rest there. There is no peace there. It is, I believe, the true definition of no hope. No hope. No one to help you. No one to save you. No one to deliver you. That place of torment where there is no hope of escape, no hope of change. For we've already said that God is an unchanging God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change because He's perfect the way He is and does not need to change. It is the place where all hope is all gone. But today is the day of opportunity. It may even be your final day of opportunity. Only God knows. And God is calling you tonight, calling you perhaps for the very last time to be saved. And what will your final answer be? I want to say to you that you can be saved at this very moment. I urge you and exhort you that in this very moment right now that you would call upon God to save your soul. Never mind the possibility that you might never rise to see the light of another day. You might not even rise from your pew this night. Death can come in any moment and in any time. Do not think or listen to the hindrances that hold you back from coming to Christ. For this is about your soul 
and where you will spend eternity. This is about your eternal destiny. Trust in Christ. Call upon him, and by doing so, you will be among those for whom Christ died for. You'll be among those, as we read in our text, whom Christ loved, who will be loved even unto the end, and unto the end, and forever into eternity. This is the value of God's salvation. It is infinite and eternal in value. While silver and gold and precious things of this earth will wear away, the blood of Jesus Christ still stands after 2,000 years and will hold on to that value and that power forever and forever. For your salvation, dear believer, will last forever and will never wear out. This is an eternal salvation. Once you're saved, you are forever saved, wrapped in the everlasting arms of Christ, in the everlasting hands of Christ. And let me tell you, what better hands to be in, to be in the hands of Christ and in His love and mercy and grace. Trust in Christ. Even if it should mean that people hate you and disown you, know this, that when you're saved, God will never leave you. He never forsakes his own. He will never disown his own, for he bought you with his own blood. We've already said that he went above and beyond what we could think or imagine to save our soul. He will keep you, dear believer. He will keep you if you trust in him forever and forever, and draw you closer and closer and closer to Him, until finally you will enter into His presence in glory and be with Him forever. Is this not truly good news to our hearts and souls? This is what Christ has done for us. This is nothing that we deserved. This is the grace of God that even this night, if you trust in Him, you will be made a child of God. You'll be welcomed and accepted of Him because your soul, through what Christ has done, will be made righteous and pure in His sight. Let me ask, is it well with your soul tonight? Is your soul be made righteous and pure and unblameable in God's sight? For you cannot stand by your sins, for your sins will only condemn you. But Christ's blood, dear friend, can wash away your sin. And I want to tell you tonight that it is Christ's blood that I rest upon. Christ's blood is my only plea of righteousness. I rest and trust in what Christ has done. What about you tonight? Are you trusting in Christ? And are you resting upon him? May God bless those thoughts to our hearts this evening. And let us close together in prayer. And I would urge you, as we bow our heads, do not let this opportunity go by. This opportunity where God is calling you to come. Time is ticking, and eternity is coming. And where will you spend eternity? O oh God, our Father, 
We thank Thee for Thy help and presence to us this evening. Lord, we think of even the solemnity of the thoughts in which we've brought. Lord, we thank Thee that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. O God, I pray that if there's some soul out of Christ this evening, Lord, I pray that, Lord, that they would take heed to the words of truth this evening, that, Lord, this night would be the night where they would close in with Thee. They would cast away the sin garments and accept the garments in which Thou dost offer, the garments of Thy perfect righteousness, the garments which are stained by Thy blood that was shed for us. O God, we pray that this night would be the night where sinners would close in with Thee. They would be able to be, uh, they would be made sinners, saved by the grace of God. Maybe if there's someone backslidden this night, and they've wandered far from Thee, O God, I pray that this would be a night that they would come to get fresh cleansing in the blood and be restored unto Thee. O God, I pray for those of us that believe this night. Let us be joyful, we pray in what Thou hast done for our soul. And that, Lord, even if we're hated by the world, by every single person in the world, we thank Thee, O God, that we're loved of God, because we are Thy peculiar possession. Thou hast bought us with Thy blood, that blood that was shed out of love for our souls. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy so great salvation. And, Lord, even as we bring this meeting to a close, we pray that Thou would speak on while even my voice and the voice of man would go silent. And that, Lord, that thou wouldst do your work that will count for eternity. For it's only what's done for Christ will last. O oh God, we pray that we would all get our eyes set upon eternity. That moment of time that will last forever, forever and forever. O oh God, get our focus on that. May we do that which will benefit and profit us for all eternity. Give us traveling mercies in our separate ways home. Draw near to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.